welcome to episode number 219 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill, and with me today are the non-fungible tokens of Linux, Michael, Noah, and Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So this week's episode is all about those betas. We have Yusuf Phillips joining us to discuss Ubuntu Testing Week. We're also going to be discussing the beta release of Fedora Linux 34. Yay! Yeah. The new PinePhone beta edition is ready for pre-orders. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this coming up right now on Destination Linux to keep your penguins marching. In community feedback, Ben writes to say, Hi guys, love the podcast. I've been I've only been a listener for about a month or so, but I'm excited to get caught up on all the episodes. Thank you very much. And you, if you want some suggestions about what to check out, there are quite a few, obviously, but check out 212 where we had an interview with Gerald Pfeiffer of SUSE and 204 we had an interview uh, with Mike McGrath of Red Hat. And also, if you want to know what this weird stool thing that's been happening for <laughs> whoever knows how long, check out destinationlinux.org slash stool to check out that episode. But back to the email, Ben says, I run FreeBSD on my Dell 40, M4600 with the i3 window manager. It nice works well, choice. It works well, but I, I was getting frustrated with how scrolling Firefox with my scroll wheel is working, and I didn't want to do X11 tricks to tune it. So I thought I'd take a break and experiment with other browsers. And goodness, did I find a gem that works great for me. It's called Cute Browser, and I just love it to death. It does some, mm -hmm. something I wanted to have in a browser, but di didn't think it existed. You can use it without a mouse. So you hit F, and it brings up hints on the screen for each clickable object of the browser, and you can type what you want to click instead. It's like links mixed with Vim and some magic penguin dust. Uh, mm -hmm. mix, mixed with i3, mm -hmm. I almost never have to touch my mouse. This has drastically changed my workflow when I'm mobile and don't have time to set up my mouse. I hope that sharing this with others may give them a highly efficient tool for them to use that they may not be aware of. If you have time to try it out and let me know what you think about Cute Browser, I'd appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Ben. So my fellow, fellow non-fungible tokens, what are your thoughts on Cute Browser? Well, first of all, we have to mention the fact that Ben's running an awesome, awesome <laughs> i3. So I think, and that's going to become even more important later in the show when we talk about some of the things going on with i3. But this actually reminds me, um, I don't use the Cute browser specifically. When I was looking at it this week after the, the comment that was made, it was interesting that this is a Python-based tool that's out there. It is very clean. It is very simplistic in nature. It's one of those just get in there and browse type browsers. Keyboard-driven fact uh, with it is very interesting to me. Now, obviously, if you learn those keyboard shortcuts, it can be very, very fast. It can be very efficient. To, to utilize just like i3, for instance, on your desktop. But there are cases even during installs and things where you lose your mouse. You have a computer where the mouse isn't being recognized, it's not working. Having the mm -hmm. ability to use something like this or install it really quickly in a system like that as you're troubleshooting is pretty cool as well. That's what went to my mind in those cases that have happened where I have a machine that in the initial install doesn't have the right drivers for the mouse or something in, engaged. So yeah, this is very cool. Yeah, this is awesome. And thank you so much, Ben, for reminding us to revisit this awesome, the awesome cute browser. I hadn't actually used it since about 2015. So it was nice to, to install it and have fun playing with it. And I love, I've always loved how nimble and fast it is. 
And what's really cool is I like that it has a quick start guide with the keyboard commands right at launch, which is really great for new users and for those of us who have forgotten some of the commands. And, you know, like, like you, Ben, I love browsing in the terminal and uh, still use the classic links, e-links, and W3M browsers. So cute nice. browsers, kind of the next uh, level of that. And for those wanting to look it up, it's Q. <laughs> U T E. T E. Yeah, Q U T E. Cute Not Q T. Not Q T. Yeah. And we'll have links in the show notes, but it's cute, cute browser. And there's there's quite a few cool things about it. It's it's the keyboard driven aspect of it is really interesting. And there's also a lot of others. There's something that I wanted to talk about is they have this thing called quick marks. They have bookmarks, but they also have quick marks. And quick marks are kind of like tagging system where you can uh, add a tag to a particular bookmark and that way you can then just load that tag and it will show you all the bookmarks that have that tag. It's a it's cool. a really nice uh, feature to have. And for those who are wondering, does it have like an ad blocker system? Uh, they actually integrated Brave's uh, Rust ad blocker library or the using an ad blocking system. So it's it's really interesting that they have like integrated Brave's stuff to do it. So mm-hmm. if if you want to have it, it does kind of, it has a lot of modern functionality while also being a very, you know, uh, keyboard centric and kind of you could kind of call it a hardcore type of di- uh, type of browser because it has uh, so many of uh, functions working through user scripts and sort of stuff like that. But uh, it's re- it's very interesting and it, it uses a cute web engine for the rendering, so it is quite fast in terms of like how it, how modern it is for functionality. So it is a really cool browser. And thanks for Ben to send it in for letting us uh, you know talk about it because. It is something that if you want a keyboard-driven browser, this is a really good option to check out. And we love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want to do, want you to do is get your official DLN mug, fill it with some coffee or bubbly, sit down on the nearest stool, and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. And if you'd like to join in on the community discussions, then join the DLN community forum by going to dlnforum.com. This episode of Destination Linux was brought to you by DigitalOcean and their new app platform. DigitalOcean's app platform service is a solution to build modern cloud native apps. DigitalOcean's app platform has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, and static sites. What does all that mean? Well, you simply point to your GitHub repository and let the app platform do all of the heavy lifting for you. They'll handle the infrastructure, the app runtimes, the dependencies, all of that, so you can simply push code to production in just a few clicks. Secure your apps automatically. They create, manage, and renew your SSL certificates and also protect your apps from DDoS attacks. Run code with little to no customization. App platform uses open cloud native standards and automatically analyzes code, creates containers, runs them on Kubernetes clusters. As a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free, better than for free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, do.co slash DLN to get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So joining us today is the organizer of the Ubuntu Testing Week and contributor to open source and Zubuntu, Yusuf Phillips. Yusuf, thank you so much for coming and welcome to the show. Glad to be here. (laughs) And before we get into the upcoming Testing Week, as a first-time guest, we would love to know how you got started in Linux and what was your Linux journey? Well, the first time I had any experience with Linux was my brother-in-law. He 
he showed me in Linux on his computer, but it wasn't really something that I was ready to Take absorb. To dive into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he had, I think, Fedora Core on his computer at that point in time. So it was awesome. around, I think, 95 or so. Um, Very cool. <laughs> and after that, around 97 or so, I went to a, an expo, computer expo in Dubai uh, with my mm. best friend. And they had a booth for Coral Linux. Ah, yes, Corel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my, I guess, second experience with Linux, but I didn't pick it up at that point in time either. I mean, uh, it's it's not necessarily a problem that you chose not to do that at the time, because in the '90s, it was it was a wild west of computing for sure. Yeah, so. definitely. <laughs> yeah, but and you then, did of pick course, a good one. Uh, Corel Linux had a really great installer for the time. It had mm. actually kind of the best installer at that time. <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, so then, after that, a couple of years later, uh, tried again. Um, I think it was around 2008 or so. Uh, my best friend and I tried to install it on our computers and the live CD worked, but when I installed it on my computer, uh, sound card did work. So uh, I said, yes. uh, <laughs> I'll wait a bit for that. Yeah. That so was then a couple of years, a couple of years, <laughs> it continued on and close, I think it was 2010 or so I bought a laptop for my brother-in-law and it came with Ubuntu on it. But of course, they were selling it saying, oh, it's, you know, it has no OS or it has DOS on it, but it came with Ubuntu. So that, you know, I, I tried Ubuntu out for the first time there, fully functional on a computer. Uh, and it was fine. So he ended up using it for a while. Then he jumped back to Windows because, of course, that's what he's used to. And then a couple of years after that, when XP was going away, I said, okay, now I have to think about, you know, really getting into it. So I installed OpenSUSE KDE because everyone was talking that, oh, if you're a Windows user, jump to KDE. So that's so what I tried. I dual booted on that for a while. And then around 2012, I said, okay, now I need to jump in full time. And I installed Linux Mint 13. And yeah, it was based on Ubuntu 12.04 and it worked quite well. And I've been using Linux since. Very nice. Wonderful. You've uh, you've done some code contributions to Zubuntu. Talk to me about your work with Zubuntu. What have you worked on? Well, uh, I started contributing Zubuntu in 2019. I, I was on the, I used Linux Mint Mate for the longest while. And then, you know, jumped to Kubuntu. I tried out Kubuntu when Michael was uh, contributing to Kubuntu. And then that was a bad time, right? <laughs> that was a fantastic time to be a KDE. I'm saying. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, um, then I said, okay, I was already using Thunar, the file manager, on on Ubuntu on Linux Mint for from from the time I started. So I was I was ready to jump over. So I tried it out, and then I said, yeah, let me contribute upstream. Uh, so I. Suggested a lot of uh, new proposals of things they could improve in Zubuntu. And um, I joined the team last year and I'm providing uh, mainly for the marketing. So I'm handling the social media and yeah, I started contributing, you know, actual improvements 
little by little. Nice. All the Buntus are great, but the Buntus always my favorite because it's got a special place in my heart. It was really kind of like a first love for me. So that's awesome. Yeah, I totally get it. I, I, the same thing is for me with Kubuntu. Kubuntu is, is, is up there, but you know, plasma, uh, diehard plasma. Yeah, person. yeah, KDE, we get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't help it. You know? Well, uh, KDE yeah, stung me a bit when I first joined, so I wasn't ready to go back. But that was when Michael was contributing. That Things was not ever <laughs> since. No, no, no. I'm no. saying when I was, that was way before was KDE four. <laughs> that was this was the only time I didn't even use KDE at that time. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, okay. So yeah, mm. so th- we'll, we'll talk about that afterwards. <laughs> but uh, uh, here's suit hippo. Uh, in that code name, a- aka Ubuntu twenty one oh four, is set to release next month. Uh, can you tell us how the testing te- the testing week came about and how this contributes to the success of a new release? All right. Um, well, I think uh, Alan Pope, when uh, Popey, he was putting out a number of uh, videos on how to test and everything, and I contributed previously to LibreOffice, and they had a similar kind of testing weekend and then when i was looking at the release notes or the release plan for ubuntu and the flavors it mentioned that there was a testing week so i said okay you know let me try to get other flavors to see if they're interested in doing it together so i contacted the people in kde uh kubuntu and they suggested oh i should uh, try to broaden it so i contacted we set up a telegram group and Alan helped with bridging it to the IRC. So everyone's all in the same place. And yeah, it was, it was a crazy two weeks without, you know, gung ho trying to organize it and plan it and stuff. Yeah. So it was, it, it was interesting. So testing week runs officially this year, April 1st through the 7th. I found it interesting in your origin story of Linux that you saw Linux multiple times, but through iterations of sound cards not working or difficulties installing, you avoided it until way later down the road, which makes it amazing that in your history later down the road, you're now helping to test to make sure people don't have those type experiences, (laughs) right? When they're using... Linux. I just thought that was kind of a cool parallel. But how can people get involved in testing this week? We know how important it is for new users that are coming into Linux that are frustrated with other OSs or just want to learn about Linux, that it runs really well, that it's kind of a flawless experience. How do people get involved in this to help out? Well, the beta release comes up on April 1st, which is some people found ironic thinking that it's being a April, April Fool's, Fools joke. yeah. <laughs> last last <laughs> yeah. year was April second, so it wasn't uh, brought up that time. Yeah, but yeah. So on April first, the beta comes out for all the flavors, and you just have to download the ISO, you know, burn it on a USB DVD, uh, or start it up on a VM. And there are different test cases available on the ISO tracker where you can see different tests that uh, predefined tests that the uh, uh, Ubuntu team has set. And you can just go through those particular ones, or you can just try out the live session, try out the installation, whatever scenarios you think about, give it a try and see what works and what doesn't. And when it doesn't, you file a bug for it. And that's simple as that. And I think it's important to note that 
this is still in beta. So the expectation is don't put this on a production machine. This is for you to put in a VM or bare metal on a machine that you would use that is for testing purposes that you may have to re-image down the road or sometime later. Although the betas tend to be very stable. So a lot of people go and run them immediately when they become available. It's probably not <laughs> the best idea. Nothing's guaranteed at that stage. Right. Let's put but, it that way. No, if you're a hardcore tester or you're going yeah. to run with the next release, you can install the beta and it will roll into the next release. So yeah. you get it early. Yeah. Nice. It's, it's a good point yeah. to say. I've also, mm-hmm. I've been known to do that where I would just roll into the next release and the beta. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's, I, I've mm-hmm. done that quite a few times and then not upgrade after the fact, but that's, that's a different story. But, no, it should roll in directly into, you know, should. Well, I mean, I just stopped yeah. upgrading. It's not, oh, it's okay. not even about, it's just, you know, it's just stop. <laughs> It's just process. Michael. Yeah, it's just that's what I used to do. I don't do it anymore, but I used to do that. Yeah. So uh, I mean, for twenty oh four, that's what I did. Uh, I installed the beta and just rolled with it. Yep. Yeah, any bugs nice. I found, file them. Nice. It's good. There, there's a we got. We're gonna have some show in the show notes. We're have some links about how to like some videos uh, for, that you mentioned that Poby made about how to contribute and be a part of the testing week. And we're gonna have a bunch of links and term, like references so you can check out to if you want to participate in that sort of stuff. And also like uh, I think all of the flavors are involved in this week in this one, right? Yes, yeah, so all the flavors um, as well as all of the remixes. Very cool. So we have Very cool. cinnamon, uh, unity, nice uh, DDE. That's very cool. I, I didn't know that the remixes were involved, so that's really awesome to hear. Uh, yeah. um, actually, it's something interesting is last year, uh, Martin talked about, Martin Wimpers talked about the effect this te- the testing we had last year, and I just want to do a quick quote about this. It, it's, he says that it is definitely playing dividend, paying dividends. It's the nicest way, in the nicest way possible, they made members of the desktop team cry today. We had, we had our weekly team meeting where we go through all of the bug reports to triage them, and usually there, there are just some. And there were pages of them this time. We didn't get through them all, so we had to schedule another bug triage meeting in order to get to the rest of them. So that is the impact that the testing week has had last year. And hopefully this year it can be even better. So uh, thanks, Yusuf, for uh, you know pr- organizing this and making it all happen. That is just fantastic. Thank you. And thank you again, Yusuf, for joining us today and for all the wonderful work you're doing to organize this effort to help make this next release of Ubuntu such a success. And we also want to thank everyone in the community that takes some time to participate, for sure. It's super easy to do and can help a lot in the success of this release, for sure. Glad to be here. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. A password manager is software that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. I mean, there are some people who have passwords that they use, they create this really complicated password and then use it everywhere. Don't do that. That's not good. Th- that's not a good idea. Well, you if need you do to do that. You're a fail fish. Fail fish. Yes, sure. Or a, fail, yes. a fail well. Yes. <laughs> so if there's what you actually should do is have a different password for every account on every website that you sign up for. But how do you do that? Because that sounds like a, like a lot of stuff to do. Well, that's what Bitwarden allows you to do with a really easy uh, approach because they provide tools to store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do that. And it also works across many types of devices like your web browser, their mobile apps, a desktop application, and even on the command line. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices so you know you're the only person with access to your 
your data. I've been using Bitwarden for years now, and the reason Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust is because in addition to all of these great features, it's also 100% open source software. That's right, 100% open source software, which means features and security of their infrastructure can be vetted and improved by the community. And they could stop there, but they don't stop there. They're not going to stop there. They actually bring in third-party security firms to audit their code to make sure it is as secure as possible. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started. And also check out their premium account because you get a bunch of additional features for just less than a dollar per month. Actually, it's $10 per year, so you can get all sorts of stuff like one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, Priority Customer Service, and so much more. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN. So you actually can help support a company that truly gets open source by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN and sign up for their $10 per year premium account to let them know you appreciate them supporting open source and and supporting the Destination Linux podcast. Again, go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. All right. So this week in the news, we have another beta. This is the episode of betas after all. So it makes sense we throw another beta out there. How about Fedora 34 beta is out right now? So if you want to contribute to help out another distribution after you have so much fun helping out the Ubuntu distributions, check out the Fedora 34 contains a preview of everything to come in RHEL. That's where Fedora sits now in the family of things. And it has so many amazing enhancements. We've got Pipewire, GNOME 40, ButterFS transparent data compression is involved in this, just to name a few. But one that made me so happy, kind of relates to the earlier message this week, is the fact that now you can test out the i3 spin of Fedora, which is now official, which is so Awesome. So you can go check out that project, check out i3. Who's been playing with Fedora 34 this week? Because I know I have, and I'm in love. I mean, it's awesome. It doesn't feel like a beta at all. Jill, have you been playing with it oh, at all? Oh, yes, yes. So um, I ran it on bare metal. I installed it on a laptop, and I ran it as a live USB and in a VM. And Pipewire and Wayland worked out of the box on all three. <laughs> <laughs> Which was that's really a good sign. Amazing. Yes, yes. It's a very good sign. Yeah, <laughs> I actually I also installed it on hardware. I put it on my main machine and just to kind of try it out. I actually tried the GNOME version with the workstation Fedora 34. And because I also wanted to try out GNOME 40, which also came out this yes. week. And <laughs> it's something that uh, I thought was going to be, uh, you know, a fun experience. And it actually kind of tempted me. I didn't switch, but it tempted me mm. to consider using GNOME, GNOME in, in that case. Come but on to the dark side, Michael. I, I, Come on over. I was over. tempted. I will admit that. I was yeah. tempted. But one of the cool things about Fedora's uh, 34 beta is that, the, as Jill's talked about with Pipewire, we've talked about Pipewire in the past, but I just wanted to kind of cover this. I am so excited about Pipewire because there have been reports that uh, Jack tools that are made for Jack work with Pipewire out of the box. That is fantastic. So, for example, like Carla, you can use it to um, imp take inputs and outputs and merge them together and all sorts of cool stuff, which is just great, really great to hear for people who are interested in pro audio. So I, I can't wait to play with that more. Uh, there's also been a lot of other stuff that uh, KDE Plasma is going to be switching to Wayland by default, which is really, really uh, awesome in, in the Fedora 34. Kind of a step in the right direction, even yeah. though Wayland doesn't think it's going to work. I see some comments, people saying they may have had some issues in Wayland. And I think there's 
still, depending on what you're doing in Wayland, some things, but it's getting less and less. Yeah, for I sure. mentioned it, I think, last <laughs> week that I spent uh, like a week or two in, in after installing a distro, not realizing I was still in Wayland. I thought I was in the regular, you know, GNOME classic or whatever. So it, it was, it, it's very interesting that. Um, it's getting to the point where you don't even notice it, and that's yeah. really what you want it to be, right? For sure. What I'm, what I mean, it's it's awesome. I'm, I, I'm kind of looking towards the future because the way that that Waylon is going to be pushed forward is like we're in a catch twenty two state, right? So people don't want to use Wayland because it's not ready, but it can't be ready until people start using it to get find bugs and improvements and stuff like that. And Fedora pushing Wayland on both the KDE span and the workstation, the station with GNOME 40 and stuff like that. It's a good move. It is, it Mm -hmm. is going to be beneficial for Wayland in the future. Is it, it might not be the perfect experience right now, but it does, it does make a lot of progress towards the Wayland future, which especially with the X Wayland standalone reset hap- release that happened a couple weeks ago, which is also kind of separating X Wayland from the X stack and that sort of stuff. It there is a lot of progress that's happening, and I'm glad to see that Fedora is participating in making that happen. So. I'm more glad to see i3, which is considered by many experts, probably all the top experts in the world, i3 to be the greatest <laughs> desktop environment ever. You know, it's I've really heard, a window I've heard manager. You say but that before for sure. Yes, I mean. These are the leading the nine Aww. out of ten dentists recommend i three. Nine out of three dentists. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh but the i three spin out there is so much fun. I haven't been in i three in a while and seeing that the official spin was out, I was playing with i three this week and it brought back so much nostalgia. And I took some of my mm-hmm. old scripts and setups from GitHub that I used in i three, ported them over. And it was like riding a bicycle. It's like I never left i three. I was moving yeah. windows between <laughs> monitors. I was stacking everything together. It was like Ah, I'm home again. <laughs> yeah, the I, I three prodigy has returned. That's right. <laughs> um, another really cool thing uh, about the beta is that if you want to go back to Xorg, it's easy. All you have to do is uh, log out to your the login manager, and then on top right in the settings, you can switch back to Xorg. And you can also do that with the Ubuntu um, Higher Suit Hippo release as well. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Really good instructions. It's very easy to switch out if you have any issues mm-hmm. with Wayland. And to continue on with this beta part of the show, which is the whole show this episode, is PinePhone Beta Edition is ready for pre-orders. They are already open for pre-orders. So if you if you if you've been wanting to have a PinePhone, and they're a, sold out, are they? Probably. <laughs> Probably. They, they might be know. already. It yeah. is. It happens very frequently. So typically, yeah. when mm-hmm. they do release, it's kind of like you get like three or four days before it, it sells out. So it could be possible, but if you've been holding out to getting a Pine Phone to the to the to waiting for the point where it gets to like the close to the you know the final product or you know this this is basically the community editions have completed. They have found the default uh, operating system they want to use and the default interface, which is Manjaro using KDE Plasma Mobile. Uh, so that's what the beta edition is. They're they're saying that the they're calling it beta edition because the hardware is, is good to go, but they still have some issues that they're working on for the. Uh, the basically the uh, operating system Software. structure yeah. and uh, the pine phone is now accepting pre-orders so if you want to get it you can totally do that and this is a really interesting thing because if you've never heard of the pine phone uh, i'm i'm shocked by that but 
because uh, we've talked about it many times. But if you've never heard of it, there's so many cool things about it. You get like it, it's it's a really inexpensive product because it's only uh, 149 for one the two gigabyte RAM option and 199 for the convergence package. And I would definitely suggest the convergence package because it's an additional fifty dollars and you get a more powerful RAM. You get uh, double the amount of storage and you also get the USB C convergence dock, which is a very cool uh, extra bonus for it. Uh, and they also have uh, a lot of cool uh, aspects to the phone itself because you get, uh, for just that $200, you get a 5.9-inch screen with USB-C. It's got Bluetooth and Wi-Fi for GPS, 4G LTE, and that sort of stuff. It's not going to be like a flagship device, but it has a lot of the cool stuff that you would expect a mobile or a modern device to have while also being a very, very I think you get price. more than your money's worth at $199, oh, yeah, sure. right? Oh, yeah. Especially with the convergence package, which we talk about, Michael, you actually talk about some on the last Hardware Addicts episode Absolutely. about using that and playing with the convergence dock, even with other phones at work. So yeah. if you're just using the Pine phone as a beta testing device, you could still use that dock with your Android, like the Samsung turn into a DeX, that type of thing. It's just very cool all the way around. I mean, there's a reason why these things sell out so fast because it's an amazing value. It's a great phone. It works as a phone. I know that's shocking. Uh, <laughs> there are some, some cases. Some that phones they don't. don't. <clears throat> yeah. Here's the thing. So. It's not. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not just that it works on a phone. Some phones don't like. So there's that aspect of it. But there's the other part where people now have the ability to actually explore those things, right? Like, so if you're a guy that let's say you're trying to find a way to to get your project to market or you're trying to build a device for an industry or something like that. And so what you're trying to do is get data through the LTE modem. And if that doesn't work, then you can't build your solution. You can't try your software out. What the PinePhone has done with perfectly working hardware, top to bottom, all the switches do exactly what they say they're going to do. All the radios work, all the cameras work, all the microphones work. Is it a tier A phone? No, you can tell that it's, it's a testing device but it allows you to experiment. My whole family, literally everyone from my from myself, who I like playing with it, down to my three-year-old uh, is playing with uh, the Pine phone and loading an operating system onto it, uh, putting jump drive in, dropping a, a, a different image on it, and then restarting it and seeing what that one's like and playing with it a little bit and then doing it over and playing with a different one and conditioning the mind and, and teaching people that that's a possibility to explore technology that way I think is really powerful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's actually a great point because there's also an image you can install that allows you to have multi-boot and you can get up to, I think, 11 different operating systems you can play with on the PinePhone just by switching back and forth. Very, very cool. Let's not forget the importance of teaching kids these days that oh, yeah. there used to be a thing called removable batteries. I mean, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That is true. That is a fantastic. Also, the there's hardware switches on it for those who like who want to be able to disable some features like the webcam and that sort of stuff. Uh, there's also what I wanted to talk about again is that Pine sixty four announced that they are currently working on uh, the a physical keyboard attachment and a fingerprint reader attachment, which is just awesome. So basically, you take the back off and you replace it with another another back that has these uh, extra features. Having a physical keyboard in addition, like I, I didn't expect this phone to be as good as it is when I got it. And uh, to see that they're also working on making these add-ons, it's just so cool. Like Pine is doing such a, a, like an amazing job. They're, they're making, uh, they're, they're very transparent about what this product is. And that is another factor that some like, you know, there are some companies who are not upfront 
about things that they sell. And it's really great to see that Pine64 is not one of those. They are totally transparent about what you should expect from this device. And there's so many cool things that you can do. Just as an example, Michael, in big red font, bolded, right before you can click add to cart, says beta edition pine phones are aimed solely at early adopters more specifically only intend units to find their way into the hands of users with extensive linux experience they're not trying to sell some pipe dream that this phone's for everybody it's going to replace all the androids on the market and it's ready right now they're they're not but you know what ryan I, i i straight up if i handed a person a pine phone with let's say manjaro arm on it and I handed you the cheapest Android phone I could order off of Amazon from Blue, whatever that you know is thirty nine dollar deal. I'll bet you dollars to donuts the person would have a better experience with that Pine phone. I, I agree with you. I, I and think, there are people out there using those cheap Android ones. So yeah, I agree. That's a good mm-hmm. point. And I think the more that they spend time testing and the software that they chose, I think Manjaro was a fantastic pick. Frankly, that that team has been developing like crazy on the ARM side. They've done amazing work. Their partnership clearly has been something that Pine has been very uh, fond of and appreciative of. So that's why they picked it as their official flavor. I think all the moves they're making just make sense from a community standpoint. It's just a good company. I like them. Oh, yeah. And also, just real quick, uh, their pre-orders are available right now for the Pine Phone Beta Edition. But they also announced that their pre-orders will soon be available for another batch of the Pinebook Pro. So if you've been Sweet. waiting for that, Yay. definitely you 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 might want to you know bookmark their, their their store page for the Pinebook Pro to get you get one for yourself because I know I've been wanting to get one and I don't know why I haven't before but you know let's fix that. You had to get your mm-hmm. Golden Girl shirt it's first. That's true. Amazing. I did need to get the Golden Girl shirt first. Yeah. For those that, who are listening to the audio only, one. you are missing out on a, a fantastic shirt experience. <laughs> well, yeah, or whatever, whatever. <laughs> All right, in our gaming section this week, I've got a really awesome pick that I think all of you are going to love. This week, we're covering a game that's available right now in your distro's repository, likely, depending unless you're using some weird distro. The game is called E.T. Legacy, and it's free-to-play, multiplayer, Noah, first-person shooter war game. (laughs) I know you were going to like that part. Yeah, man. 64 players join in a mass chaotic combat all using the Wolfenstein enemy territory base code. This is how important it is when base code like this gets released out in the open. It was open source GPL V3 back in 2010. And now people are taking that code and creating cool games. It's living again. It's making awesome content like this. And the game describes itself like players join the phrase, one of the five distinct character classes, each with unique combat abilities. Each Axis or Allies team can divide itself into smaller fire teams for quick and easy communication. Intuitive messaging system, dynamic command maps, and the entire battlefield. Really, what this all boils down to is you join the game, you try to find the best gun you can, you see somebody, you shoot at them. In my case, I die immediately. And then you get back in the game and keep doing that rinse and repeat until you're actually good. Uh, but it actually was a really fun game. There's plenty of servers, there's plenty of activity on the servers right now. So go check out ET Legacy. This one was really cool. This this is quite interesting because when that I've I've tried most, if not all, uh, definitely not all, of the open source games that are available. And I had not known, I did not know this existed until this week, this mm-hmm. episode. So I can't wait to destroy Ryan in a first person shooter. Uh, what? 
how did that what how did we get to destroy me you are equally <laughs> as that's, bad as me we've played public yes People we are both this. terrible but i'm slightly better <laughs> you think no probably not who knows i think we're, jill would destroy both of us that's, <laughs> that's almost a guarantee but we, it's up to 64 players shooter, yeah. i have a shot yeah. 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 64 players can join in this in this kind of like mass combat thing. So I think we should all do that and do like maybe a, a group uh destroy Ryan. Just sounds like a great idea. A game? Are we doing a game off where another game fest? Yeah, yes. yeah. We could we could do that. We could have because 64, <laughs> maybe it won't be a game fest, but we'll have a night we pick where we all jump in with the community, 64 of us, and just try to you destroy know destroy Ryan. each Hammer other in ET. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and everyone go after the golden girl shirt wear. I think yep. I think everybody would be like you know wanting to have their own Golden Girl shirt and have create this this, this, this it, clan of the Golden Girls uh, F E T the Golden e. Girl Legacy. clan inside E T yeah. Legacy yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> well dang it now I don't want to kill you I want to join your clan that'd be awesome <laughs> perfect oh this is a great game and it'd be nice to get back into it again because I haven't played it in a long time. Yeah. And it was funny because me and Ryan, me and Ryan, me and Michael were both noticing it said ET Legacy, so we were thinking of ET Phone Home. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing I thought. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you yeah. thinking they brought realized, back the game oh, they buried in? Uh, yeah. Build, build the, the Atari. Bad, yes, that the was legacy the bad game the, that got buried. The most notorious game ever made. <laughs> yeah. 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 In our spotlight this week, we're going to talk about Shutter. So Shutter has released 0.95. This is the first release in a little over two years. So it's great to see the return of the project for the one of the mainstays of capture tools and screenshot tools in Linux for many years now. And it's happy to see that it's still alive. Uh, Shutter is a feature-rich screenshot program for Linux-based operating systems. You can take a screenshot of a specific area, window, your whole screen, or even a website if you want to do that. A lot of cool features that it has. In addition to the, uh, the variety of capture options, it also has some editing tools, which is very nice. So you can add text, arrows, rectangles, ellipses. Uh, you can do a sensor, which is like, kind of like pixelizing uh, certain sections of, the, of the, the screenshot to kind of hide private data. So it like, does like a blurring effect. Uh, also, it has auto increment shape option, which is really great for creating tutorials. So if you're writing a step-by-step -step guide, you can do uh, add incremental digits. So when you click a button, it will automatically add the next digit when you click on that certain part of the screenshot. Really, really cool. It couldn't be easier in that aspect. And screen uh, Shutter is a great screenshot tool that has been around for a very long time, and I'm happy to see it back. So if you haven't heard of it or you haven't tried it, check it out. We'll have links in the show notes. This week, we're continuing our coverage of easy projects you can do at home with your $35 Raspberry Pi. Now, in mm -hmm. prior weeks, we talked about how to set up a digital signage system with your Raspberry Pi, also a home VPN. Well, today, we're going to be looking at how to set up Docker so that you can easily learn uh, what all of the rage is about. So first, we're going to make sure that we have the latest updates for Raspbian installed. So you're going to open a terminal, type curl, tac, fs, capital S, capital L, and then HTTPS get.docker.com, tac o space get tac docker dot sh. We'll have all of this for you in the show notes. Next, we're going to run the script that we just downloaded. So we'll do sudo uh, sh get dash docker dot sh. Once we run that script, we'll use sudo mod tac a capital G uh, docker pi. Then we're going to log back out and log back in to make the groups take effect. And after we've done that, we'll run docker run hello dash world. Now to search for an image from the docker hub repository, uh, or excuse me, a docker hub registry, you can use the docker search command. That's about it. Now docker is installed and ready to run containers on your Raspberry Pi. 
Sweet. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. If you want more access to DL, become a patron like all of these people here with us today. You get access and perks like unedited versions of the show, VIP events, live recordings of Destination Linux, but you also get the patron-only after show as well. In addition to at now every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're streaming live over at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. We can't wait to see you in the chat. And also, everyone, go right now to the DLNstore.com. You can pick up some swag. We have T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, T-shirts, stickers. I said T-shirts twice. Whatever. I'm I'm just so focused on <laughs> double how, T-shirts, how triple awesome, T-shirts. Yeah, I'm I'm so focused on how awesome Jill's shirt is. It's the Linux is everywhere Yay. shirt. You can get it at the DLNstore.com. And there's also lots of other cool stuff, and including a new shirt for the Hardware Addicts podcast. I think it's quite good. I am it's a little bit cool. biased. It's- but, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is quite nice. So check it out, dealinstore.com. Yay. And we have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, you. Deal and Extend, Hardware Addicts, and get your game on with our latest show, GameSphere. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. And everybody, have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. We love you. <laughs> there it is. I, the show's not over till Noah does that. Exactly. Like, I don't. I, I just. I'm on pins and needles. Right. Ryan, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> marked as over so for you. Yeah. Ryan, I'm kind of disappointed you didn't do a dab this time when we when she's mentioned Dos Geek Chat. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There yeah, we go. There you go. Yeah. I'm down with the kids these days. Edward. Tell us about the work on the i3 that you did. I was introduced to i3 by a friend that is called Justin. I started trying it, I'm loving it. It has a little footprint. And then I started to say, hey, why we don't do a remix? I started like a remix. I have a bunch of people say, hey, that's a great idea. And finally, I was uh, contacting the Fedora program manager, Ben Cotton. And he said, hey, I have some red hatters that have some ideas they collected over the time. And they passed me a, a document they work on with the things they think are vital to an i3. And now we are shipping. I don't know. It was very organic. I say, I have this idea who want to work with. And then a lot of people jumping. Hey, it's i3. Of course we want it. Say, if so many people was interested, why nobody did it before? Right. Well, they just needed somebody. That happens a lot. They just needed somebody to kind of wrangle everyone together and take charge. And that's that's awesome, man. I, I was so happy when I seen it. And I'm even happier to know that someone in our community that joins us helped create it because i3 is just something I fell in love with. And I also get, by the way, uh, I think it was Walt or one of somebody said, I'd rather pull teeth than run i3. I get it. I do. i3 is a special thing. Like if you either get it and you love it or you don't. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but when you do get it, when you do fall in love with it, it is, it is something special. It's, it's very unique. Huh? George, where you been, man? You've been hiding from us. I know. I know. I've been busy on Sundays and, you know, that's no excuse. Linux is everything. Linux first, everything else second. (laughs) (laughs) Earlier this week, I caught up. 
Thou shalt partaketh of Destination Linux and the Elixir of Life on Sundays. Thank you. I think that's <laughs> written somewhere. This is true. Although with that said, I did. I am sad that I did miss last week's thing. I was like, Justice League, Snyder Cut, crap. <laughs> were you on were you on uh team me or were you on team michael nah i had to rep michael <laughs> i have to rep michael because i was oh, like this you know what george greatest comic book movie it's good in-game. but it's not that good it is it's that not in-game good. good it's not infinity war good listen uh, George, you, you were one of my favorite people, but uh, you've lost a few points now. I'm curious. Let's see what George <laughs> thinks about your argument for against Infinity War. Go ahead. George, the stupidest <laughs> thing ever happens in this movie. Hey, everyone. Sorry to cut this a little bit short. It is a very fun conversation we had about the Snyder Cut and Infinity War and all that sort of stuff, but... It is pretty long, so if you want to see the whole unedited version of it, you can become a DL patron by going to destinationlinux.org slash contribute, and there you can sign up on Sponsus or Patreon and get full access to every unedited episode of Destination Linux that we have ever done and all in the future. So, destinationlinux.org slash contribute if you'd like to find out what the conversation was with Ryan, myself, George, and the rest of the patrons in the patron post show. Thank Thank you for being a friend.